Mark chapter 15 and starting reading at verse 33. This is God's word. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from afar among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less and of Joseph, and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now, when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. Amen. We thank God for the reading of his truth. Let us say a prayer before we come to think about these verses together. Our God, we thank you for your word for the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. We thank you for how you speak to us. We praise you, O God, that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. And we would ask for your help today. We ask that you would help us to listen, to hear, to understand and to believe what you're saying to us. And may we not leave it there, but may we leave this place all the more willing and able to live for you in the days that lie ahead for us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, folks, if you can think back, it's a long time ago now, but if you can think back to the beginning of Mark's gospel or even turn it up in your Bibles, you'll know that Mark began by telling us what his book is all about. He began by writing the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
That's what Mark wants us to know, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And throughout this gospel, we've seen lots of evidence. The evidence just keeps stacking up that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We've seen miracles, miracles of physical healing. The the blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk. We've seen that Jesus has power over creation. He's able to calm the storm with a word. He's able to multiply bread for 5,000 people. We've seen Jesus that that he has authority over the world, the, the spiritual world of demons. He's able to cast the demons out. And then we see the way that he teaches the crowds. Mark says he teaches as one who had authority. Mark keeps presenting before us this evidence of who Jesus is. But in case we're still not sure, Mark doesn't just want to give us the evidence, he wants to tell us. He tells us plainly that, as I've said, the first verse, he begins by saying, this is what the gospel's about. And then Mark's gospel is sort of like a mountain. We, we go up to the peak and then down again to the cross and, and at the very peak in the middle of the gospel. In chapter 8, verse 29, Peter proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ. And then we come to our passage today and we hear from the lips of a Roman centurion when he saw Jesus at his most humanly weak and vulnerable as Jesus breathed his last upon the cross, the Roman centurion declared, truly this man was the Son of God. Think about this, this gospel, Mark, being, being written for the Christians in Rome at the time. What this Roman centurion said would have carried weight. Truly this man was the Son of God. I hope that we're under no illusion today as to who we are at least supposed to believe Jesus is. Even if you don't believe it, if you, if you don't accept it, If you refuse to believe, you need to know what you're supposed to believe. That's what this gospel is trying to point us to, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But as we come to today's passage, I think it helps us to understand something slightly different from just who Jesus is. I think it helps us understand who God is. So today we've learned lots about Jesus in this gospel, but today I want to take some time and think about what God is like. And we learned two very simple things about God in this passage. Boys and girls, you can remember these things. God is holy and God is good. That's not difficult to remember, but it's really important that we believe it. God is holy and God is good. First of all, God is holy. And this should be obvious by the lengths that God goes to to remove the curse of sin. Look at what's happening here. This is the Son of God dying on the cross. That's how seriously God takes sin because he is holy. Galatians chapter 3 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, 
having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so we see the holiness of God in that he sent his only son to hang on a tree as a curse for our sin so that we could be redeemed. But Jesus didn't only hang on the tree, Jesus died as he hung on the cross. And by dying, Jesus endured the full penalty of sin. We know what sin deserves, don't we? We've, we've heard it. We've seen the billboards. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. Genesis chapter 2. Where does this come from? Why? Why do we know that the wages of sin is death? Well, Adam and Eve ate of the tree, didn't they? God told them, Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Death is the result of sin. Sin means death. And that's what Jesus took upon himself, isn't it? He demonstrates in his death how seriously God views sin. And so, therefore, the holy nature of God. In case... We're not convinced that Jesus actually died. He was buried. He went to the grave. Pilate had a Roman centurion confirm that he was truly dead. His body was taken by Joseph. He was wrapped in fine linen. He was laid in a tomb and a large stone was rolled against the opening. The burial of Jesus confirms to us that he was really dead. He didn't faint. He didn't slip into a coma. He had really and truly died upon the cross. He had genuinely, completely bore the punishment for sin in his own body on the tree. And so we know that God is holy because of the lengths he will go to to remove the penalty and the punishment of sin from his people. God's holiness is the opposite of human sinfulness. That's what it means that God is holy. His holiness means he can't have sin in his presence. It was for that reason that Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. They couldn't live in the presence of a holy God. That's what the curtain in the temple signifies. We've read again today about this curtain in the temple. It's a a division. It's, It's a separation between a holy God and a sinful humanity. As a result of the sin of Adam and Eve, each one of us are guilty. We've inherited it as people who are born as human beings. None of us is holy as God is holy. Our God is holy in his very nature. And haven't we thought in the past couple of days and maybe even today about the queen and and her her coronation? And, you know, one of the things that happens when uh, the queen was was, uh, had her coronation was that she had a crown put on her head. A crown displaying her glory. And we saw last week about Jesus's crown of thorns. I want to say today that God's holiness is. 
is like the most beautiful gemstone in the crown of his glory. His holiness means that he perfectly loves righteousness and he hates evil. We look upon the cross when we see the death of Jesus, we get a glimpse into the infinite holiness of God. He is the opposite of sin. Sin is unclean. Sin is abhorrent. God is pure. God is lovely. It's no wonder that when Isaiah has a vision of the heavenly throne room in Isaiah 6, what is it the angels are crying out? That God is holy, holy, holy. Not just once, not just twice, but thrice holy. And what a stark contrast whenever we compare our own lives to the holiness of God. When we look upon the cross, when we understand that God is infinitely holy and that sin is the polar opposite of who he is, what a contrast when we look at our own lives, when we look at our own hearts and our own sinfulness, we can see how far short we fall of God's perfect standard. And this is in total contrast, isn't it, to the the way the world lives today. The, The world that we live in is in total contrast to God's perfect holiness. The sinfulness of this world is as different from God as darkness to light. You wouldn't have to go too far back to the headlines from this past week to see the the horrible nature of human depravity. Much of it's highlighted by social media, certain videos and posts, certain WhatsApp groups, things being shared on on Twitter. I don't know if you noticed, as I did, the, the outrage of some of the commentators on these issues. How can people do such horrible things? How can people be capable of racism and sexism and sectarianism and and any of those other isms that represent hatred? The commentators that I heard on the radio that I saw on the news, they seemed shocked. I wasn't shocked. I only have to look at my own heart. I only have to look at my own heart to see that depravity doesn't exist because of social media. It's on display because of social media. The holiness of God is as bright as the sun on my gloomy and dark sinful heart. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. That's what 1 John says. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. But what do we also hear? We heard it today from 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's holiness is displayed in great glory on the cross because it's on the cross that God sheds his own blood for the death and in death for the sins of his people so that we might be cleansed, 
so that the sun might shine into our dark hearts and expel all of the gloom and darkness so that we can be made holy as he is holy. And so as we look upon the cross, we see that God is holy. But we also learn our second point, which is that God is good. God is good. We got a new children's book in our house a few weeks ago, and it's been running through my head ever since, and I can't get this out of my head, and I've mentioned it to so many people since. The book describes a a difficult event in the life of a family. And throughout this event, the father keeps asking his son, what shape is the moon? And the son has learned to reply, the moon is round. The moon is always round. Now there are, of course, times in the book when the moon doesn't look round. Boys and girls, you know this, that the moon doesn't always look round. Sometimes it's a half moon. Sometimes it's a crescent moon. Sometimes there's no moon to be seen at all. But we know that even though we can't always see it, the moon is always round. And so the father asks his son, what is God like? And the son replies, God is good. God is always good. There are times when we can't see it. There are times in our lives when it seems as if God is not good. Maybe all we can see is half of God's goodness or or a crescent of God's goodness. Sometimes it seems as if God's goodness has disappeared entirely. But I want you to look at our passage today. I want you to know and to believe that God is good. God is good. Always good. On the day when Jesus died, the sun rose in the east, as it always does. It began to make its way across the sky. But we're told in Mark chapter 15, verse 33, that when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land. The sun stopped shining. This is a sign of God's wrath being poured out on Jesus. Darkness is a symbol of sin and God's judgment against sin. We've said that the sin that Jesus was carrying is yours and mine. He was carrying it on his own shoulders. Our sin is the entire opposite of who God is. And so the Son, God's creation couldn't shine it stopped shining on that day this is the darkest day in all of human history the god of the universe the one who is life going to death on the cross placed there because of the betrayal of his followers because of the roman uh, uh, authorities because of the jewish officials because of the crowds of people Jesus came to his own, but was rejected by his own. And so the sun couldn't even shine. The darkest of days. Even Jesus himself 
in his humanity struggled to know the goodness of God. Look at verse 34. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ, the Son of God, felt abandoned and forsaken by the Father. He's quoting a psalm. He's, he's quoting Psalm 22, which predicts the stunning, with stunning accuracy the death of Jesus. Christ declares his devastation as he bears the, the full weight of sin in his own body. Even Jesus struggled to see God as good on that day. And so we read in verse 37, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. But friends, I want you to know today, there's a reason why we call this dark day Good Friday. Good Friday. Because in that moment, as Jesus died, as the wrath of God was satisfied, in that moment, God was good. God was being good. And therefore we know God is good. God is always good. Verse 38 of our passage. At that moment, the veil of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. From top to bottom. From God down to man. The presence of God, once restricted to the Holy of Holies, behind a curtain in the temple. A curtain that said, God is holy and you are not, so you cannot come in. This curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The curse of Adam and Eve's sin was undone through Christ for all who will trust in him. I think that's glorious. I think that's wonderfully good news. On the darkest day in history, God was doing something good. Not only something good, the, the greatest and best good there could ever be. And so now we have access. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. When we're trusting in Jesus, having been justified by faith in Christ, we have peace with God. Sinful human beings and a holy God. We have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In the death of Jesus, God was doing something good. He was granting access to himself. He was allowing sins to be forgiven and removed. He was redeeming and rescuing us. Taking away the curse of sin and the penalty of sin for everybody who trusts in Jesus. He's allowing sinners to be justified so that we can stand in the presence of our holy God to enjoy him and glorify him forever. A dark day. God was doing something good. I can't tell you, I can't tell you, friends, how many times on a pastoral visit my Bible 
almost opens itself to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You know what Romans 8, 28 says? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Why is it that I turn there so often? It's because life is difficult. Life is rough. The prophet Job wrote, and and he was correct, man who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. We all have our troubles. Everybody here has a burden to bear. Some of those burdens I know about, some of them I don't. But I know that your life, just like my life, is filled with difficulty. Some people's difficulties are greater, some people's are lesser. But all of us, All of us have to face pain and sorrow and grief and loss. In those times, it should be of great comfort to us that God is good. All the time, even in the most dark of days, God is working for your good. We don't always see it. Sometimes the moon looks like a crescent. But it's always Round. And so I need you to know today that no matter how dark your day feels, and I'm not minimizing the difficulties that we face, no matter how dark, you need to know that God is good. God is always good. The cross of Christ shows us that God is good. In the death of Jesus, we learn that even when we cannot really see it, God is always good. Even when we can't really understand it, God is always good. God is holy and God is good. Two simple but very, very important lessons that we learn at the cross. Let me pray for us.